Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a great man is always willing to be little. And I wonder how often you see that type of attitude reflected in the people in your life. It's not about me. That's the series that we're going to be concluding today as we look at the beginning of Philippians chapter 2. And I've got to admit to you, what we're going to talk about tonight is going to be applicable to all of us. Uh, This is something that every single one of us deal with. I want to tell you a story as we start uh, to wrap your mind around this. When I was in college, I had a great group of friends. And in fact, they've become lifelong friends. Maybe you had that, uh, know what that's like. But these are friends that um, I spend a lot of time with. I, I talk with them weekly. They're just a part of my life. Several of my friends were baseball players, and they played on the team at college, and I've never played organized baseball in my life, but my friends didn't know this, okay? Now, it wasn't like I didn't know how to swing a bat or throw a ball. I could hold my own in wiffle ball. That was no big deal, right? But something happened, something strange happened my sophomore year. Our college every year does this thing called a service day, and they send all the students out throughout the the city, and we do all these different service projects. And I was out doing this service project, and I was at the same location as the baseball coach. So we started serving together, and we spent a little time getting to know each other. He got to know me, and he found out that I was Cuban. Now, if you don't know, my dad was born in Cuba, and he came to the United States when he was a child. But what happened in this moment was this coach didn't hear that. He only heard in capital letters, baseball player, right? Uh, Now, I've been told us Cubans are only good at baseball and boxing, okay? But this is what he heard in this moment. And this is crazy, but it's true. At that moment, a college baseball coach encouraged me to give a shot at playing on his team. I was excited about this. I told my friends, they were excited. Hey, I was excited. I was about to be a college athlete for a sport I've never played before. And so I was, I was looking forward to this and and, and it was, it was going to be good. So my friends, they took me to the batting cage and my baseball dreams died that day. (laughs) I've never been so embarrassed of trying to hit a baseball coming way too fast. I don't know how people do it, but I, I was quickly, quickly humbled in that moment of what it took to be a real baseball player. Have you ever been humbled by a situation or maybe even by someone else? Have you ever been, uh, how some people say it, been put in your place, right? This idea of uh, being humbled. Sometimes that happens to us in life. But the real idea of humility is seeking to learn how to be humble yourself. You see, humbleness is such an important part of what it means to be a Christian But I often think it's not one that we talk about enough. It's one that we just assume people know. St. Augustine said this, Humility is the foundation of all other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except in mere appearance. You see, the key for each of us is not to be humbled. right? That's going to happen in your life from time to time. No matter how you live or how good you are, From time to time, you are going to be humbled, regardless of the way that you live. The key for all of us is to learn the importance and the value of humility and try to make that a part of our character. So let me ask you a question as we start this. Do you know how to be humble? Emphasis on the how. Do you know how to be humble? Do you know what that looks like? And there's probably some basic answers, some things that you could say, and you would probably be right. But what I want to do today 
is answer that question for you and push you towards humility. Last week, we started this study in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I want to encourage you to turn your Bibles there now or open your phones or your tablets, whatever you have with you, and, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we looked at the first two verses, and Andrew gave us this picture of what it looks like to, to live in unity and, and how important that is for us. Today, we're going to focus on the last two verses of that as we talk about humility. So, let's take a look at our text together. Go ahead and stand with me as we read our text tonight like we do each and every week. We're going to stand as we read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility... Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Thank you all. You can be seated. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Today, what I want to do for all of us is, is very simple. I want to break this text down that Paul writes to the church at Philippi and talk about not only the importance, but also the practicality of humility, recognizing the truth that it's not about me. So here's our first idea. Number one, if you like to take notes, <clears throat> number one is don't be selfish. That sounds like something I would tell my kids, right? But this is, this is pretty simple. Um, Paul says here in verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Simply don't be a selfish person. Paul's not saying, like, listen, he's not saying like, don't like talking about sharing your toys. He's saying don't have selfish motives in the things that you do. One of the ways that we can understand this word of selfish ambition is to think of it like jockeying for position. Have you ever been at the grocery store and you're in line with all your stuff, right? And, and maybe you got a couple people in line with you and all of a sudden, right next to you, another employee comes over and opens up a lane. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Opens up a lane right next to you. What you would think would happen in that moment, right? What, what should happen in that moment is whoever's next in line should get to go over to the new count. Is that what happens? No, that's, well, that's not what happens to me, okay? Every time this happens to me, what happens is somebody in the back is jockeying for position, sees it happening and just slides over and just goes next, right? And I'm like, you've gotta be kidding me. I've been waiting here. I hope you guys know what that feeling is like. It's awful, right? And so this is that, this is that idea, this, that, that selfish ambition, like even though maybe you should go first, I'm gonna go first. One of the ways that's the realest to me is um, a couple of these mission trips I've taken to the Dominican Republic where we do sports camps with kids. And at the end of every camp, we, we line these kids up and we give them a gift, like a pencil or a necklace or bracelet, something like that. And they go crazy for it. But what happens is these kids, I mean, you've never seen the maneuvering and the shoving and the pushing and the trying to get to the front of the line and trying to get through the line twice, right? Because, because it's me first, me before you. That's, that's what this word means, this selfish ambition. Selfish ambition, also, also translated as self-interest. This is this Greek word, erythia, means ambition, rivalry, self-seeking, a feud. In other words, me against you, right? A, a rivalry, a feud. This town ain't big enough for the both of us, so one of us has to go. This is selfish Ambition, self-interest, and this is what Paul tells us not to be, not to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't be selfish. It's that simple. 
But there's another phrase in here that we can't overlook that we have to pay attention to. It takes it a little step further. It's what is translated as vain conceit. And this is the Greek word kenodoxia. It literally means vain glory is how it kind of comes out. But what that means is trying to impress others without merit. We all kind of know what that looks like. It's this idea of empty pride or cheap pride is one way that commentators put it. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Also not trying to impress others. What this all comes down to is me, yourself. Paul's basically saying, listen, get over yourself. Don't be selfish. And listen, I know that, that idea in, in 2020 America is difficult, right? We live in this world that is directed at us. Everything is pointed at us. This is this idea of big data. You guys have heard of big data, know what that is. It's, it's the data that's collected about you, everything about you from your birth date and all that kind of stuff, the things that you like, the, the websites that you visit. I mean, even the things that you say you, that ever happened to you before, you, you say something out loud and all of a sudden you open your phone on social media, you have an ad for that. It's creepy, right? It, that, that happens to me all the time. But this idea, this big data has taught us that everything is about us. Everything is directed at us, our needs, our desires. This is what our world teaches us. It's all about us and it revolves around us. We live in a very self-centered world. And listen, we are all participants at times in thinking that things revolve around us and what is best for us. Paul warns to avoid the me-centered worldview, to, to avoid that. And that's something that takes effort. It takes time. It takes intentionality to do that, if we want to get to the place of having, having the, the attitude of Christ, then we have to begin to be selfless and not selfish. This is what Paul starts with. All these ideas are connected. And so the next thing that Paul says, number two is this, is that we have to value them over you. That's the second idea, value them over you. The rest of verse three reads like this. Paul says, rather in humility... Value others above yourselves. In humility, value others above yourselves. Here's what I want you to understand about this. This is first and foremost a mental and emotional state. This is not primarily an action. The, the word for value is this word also translated as to esteem, to regard. It is a cognitive and an emotional position towards someone. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between valuing somebody by action and valuing someone from the inside. And this is what Paul is saying. We can talk about how to physically value people. And oftentimes we, we do that. But Paul is saying there's more to this. There, there is more than that. He's saying that you need to truly value other people above yourself from the inside out. And that starts in your mind and it starts in your heart. And in order to value people from the inside, it's going to take a little bit of perspective of how you view yourself. Paul says, rather in humility. Humility, that, that's our word for this message. This is the definition of humility is this. A modest or low view of one's own importance, humbleness. I love how one commentator says that humility is to be severe upon our own thoughts and charitable in our judgment of others. Now, don't confuse this with beating yourself up and giving yourself put-downs. We all know how to do that. In fact, I think that's often the strategy that Satan wants to use against us. We, we can put ourselves down and make you feel worthless and unimportant. Don't, don't fall for that. That's not humility. 
Rick Warren says this, this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is this, this modest view of yourself. You can call it perspective is one way to, to think about it. We all need to have humility of ourselves first so that we can value others. In fact, this idea is not singular to Philippians chapter 2. This is something that's all throughout Scripture. And I'm going to show you some examples of this. Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, for, the, for, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed each of you. This idea is, is coded throughout Scripture of what it looks like to be humble, to live in humility, Understanding your place. Here's what Jesus says about this. In, in, in Luke's gospel, he records this story. In Luke chapter 18, he says this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now listen, there's so much that we could really unpack from that passage, but the example that Jesus tells is that you have to have a modest view of yourself. When you puff yourself up and thus you look down on others, you are not a humble person. The Pharisee that Jesus describes in this moment truly believed that on the inside, he was more worthy than another person because of the things that he did, because of the way that he lived in church. That is such anti-gospel. We know that Jesus has done everything for us and there's nothing that we can do to make us more worthy. And so that's why Jesus says, the one who humbled himself goes home justified. That attitude that the Pharisee had manifests itself into some really ugly words. Maybe you know people like that. Hopefully you are not someone like that, but how we view people how we view other people often starts with how we view ourselves. But, again, that's not the only time that Jesus talked about something like this. Luke chapter 14, Luke again records another incident. This is what he says. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, don't take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And the conclusion is this, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I hope you're beginning to see that Jesus thinks it's important for us to understand this idea. Don't overvalue yourself if you're going to undervalue someone else. This is the principle. This is the, the, 
Don't overvalue someone else if you, uh, yourself if you're going to undervalue someone else. It's just not cool with Jesus. We, we've got to do better. We can't walk into a room and mentally position ourselves, our importance, our value over other people. That's not the type of life that we're supposed to live. Exaltation comes from humility, not from yourself, right? This is the idea that you can't give yourself your own nickname, right? It, you guys know that you can't give yourself your own nickname. Someone else has to give you that honor. Hopefully, hopefully it's a good nickname. I've got a family friend who's given me a nickname that I don't like, right? And I'm not going to tell you what it is, okay? Because you'll start calling me that. But, but I, I don't like it. I want, I, want a, I want a cool nickname. I can't go around calling myself something and just hope that it catches on. That's not the way that it works. I play basketball with a couple of guys. They started calling me Matty Ice. I think that's cool, right? I, I, I like that. I, I think it's a good thing. I'm not sure. But I, you can't give it to yourself in the same way if you want to be exalted, let someone else exalt you. Don't exalt yourself. Over and over again in Scripture, lowliness and humility are seen as positive virtues, especially because they affect the way in which people behave towards others and also the manner in which they approach God. We live in a world, and you know this, we live in a world that's filled with self-exaltation. And so Jesus is literally asking us to live counterculture, to, to live counterculture than what our world tells us. Value others, value other people above yourself, and don't exalt yourself for other people to notice. James, the own brother of Jesus, recognized this as well. He says this, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Peter, one of the closest people to Jesus when he walked this earth, said this as he writes to the churches, humble yourselves Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. If you, wanna, if you want to be exalted, you should first humble yourself. That starts with a modest view of yourself, and then it manifests itself out into your life by valuing other people more than yourself. Remember, this is something that happens internally. This happens internally first. This is not an action first. This is internal. No matter how someone is different from you, no matter what their skin color is, no matter what their political leniency is, no matter what their education level is, or anything else, we are to value, to regard, to esteem, to value other people more than ourselves. There's, there's no value in exalting yourself. There's no value in racial supremacy. There's no value in political hierarchy. There's no value in ethnocentrism. There's no value in ever thinking that you are better than somebody else. There just isn't. There is value in humbling yourself before God and before others, for that is the exact example that Jesus set as he told these parables. He demonstrated as he washed his disciples' feet, and until we, the church, started treating the people in our lives like this, we'll never live the humble lives that Jesus has called us to. So we have to value others more than ourselves from the inside. Have a modest view of yourself so that you can value the person next to you over yourself. Friends, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Paul tells us, and he helps us by telling us what that looks like, by showing us the practicality of how to do this. And it leads us to our last point. Number three is this, is that we put others' interests above yours. Verse four ends by saying this, not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of others. And so this is what it practically looks like to value others above yourself. You put their interests above yours. 
So I've got um, two kids. I've got a five-year-old girl and a three-year-old boy. And most mornings, I don't know if this is bad or not, but most mornings, uh, as we're getting ready, they're eating breakfast and getting their clothes on, and I'm getting ready, all this kind of stuff, I, I let them watch a TV show as we're getting ready for the day. And I let them alternate, right? I let them alternate what they choose on Netflix or whatever it is. And, um, you know, Dawson, he really wants to watch boy shows, anything with a plane or a train or a dinosaur or something like that. That's what he'll usually pick. And Willow, she wants something that has girls in it, Barbie or princesses, something like that. So there's a clear dichotomy of what they like to watch. And sometimes it causes issues, okay? And so that's why I let them alternate back and forth. But something happens, and this happens probably every other week, is that Willow has decided that she tries to influence Dawson's choices. She tries to to show him because it's pretty much a boy show or a girl show, right? Well, Willow, and I listened to these conversations, so it was kind of funny, but she'll, she'll talk to him and she'll say, Dawson, you know, Barbie is a boy show because it has Ken in it, right? And, and, and she'll, she'll explain this to him and she'll talk him through it and it works. Some days he picks Barbie as a show because Willow has convinced him that, hey, look, look what about Ken? You like Ken, right? And so this, this plays out, and it's just like, this is crazy. And you have to wonder, is she looking out, right? You know the answer to this. Is she looking out for his interests here or hers? We know the answer to that, right? It's a, it's a pretty poor example of what it looks, looks like to live in unity and humility. But here's the problem. We do this as adults. We put our needs and our interests above others all the time. And it really has to stop. Paul says, in humility, value others above yourselves and look to their interests before yours. Our greatest example of this is Christ. You know, we have such a perfect, we think we have such a perfect view of who who Jesus is. We know the stories, we know what he's done, we, we, we know Jesus, but did you know that there was a moment in his life where he had to choose this? He had to choose humility. He had to choose to put us above himself. He had to choose all of these things. It happened at a place called Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is a garden area right at the western foot of the Mount of Olives. It's just right outside the city of Jerusalem. This is a place that Jesus and his disciples customarily visited. It was a common place for them. But that night, that night was different. Because a lot of other things have already happened. Jesus had eaten the Last Supper with his disciples He'd already predicted Peter's betrayal. Judas has already agreed to hand him over. And it's in this moment that Jesus takes his disciples to Gethsemane, this garden area, so that he can pray. The Apostle Matthew describes it like this. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful. And troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Luke, who was a doctor, records the same incident in his gospel in chapter 22. He says that Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was in anguish, He, he, he he was struggling. In this moment, here's what Matthew says. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, 
If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you see what's happening? Jesus, in the final moments of his freedom as a human, in these final moments, he has to make a decision. He, he's considering stopping. He, he, he doesn't want to keep going. He doesn't desire to do what has to happen next. But do you see how he resolves it? Not as I will, but as you will. Jesus puts the interest of humanity, of you, above his very life. And we are eternally changed because of all of this. Because of Jesus' decision that night in the garden, we have the opportunity to spend an eternity with God, all because he humbled himself and he put our needs above his. This is our example. This all comes together because Paul, he says this, I know we're not studying the rest of Philippians chapter 2, but I want to read these verses to you because it just, it pulls all of this together. Look at verses 5 through 11, and you're probably very familiar with these. In your relationships with another, listen, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset and attitude as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." This is our example. You put the needs and the interests of other people ahead of yours because that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done for you on a much bigger and more important scale. Question becomes, can you do this? Is, is this possible? Is it, is it possible for us as just people to humble ourselves like this, to truly put others in front of ourselves? Can you humble yourself enough to have a modest view of yourself, to value others more important, their needs above yours? That's what this comes down to. It's not easy. It's not. This is not easy, friends, but, but the humble are ultimately exalted. Church, we're entering a time that our country is going to be divided much more than it's going to be united. Last week, we talked about the importance of unity. We, we looked at the idea that we have so much more important things in common than we do that should divide us. Today, I want you to be challenged to be the type of follower of Jesus that is willing to be humble and to allow the person next to you to be more valuable than yourself. Living a life of humility simply means saying, it's not about me. It's about them. And here's the best part. If we all did this, if this, just this room, if we, if we all did this, if we all treated the people around us with as much love and care and concern as Jesus has done for all of us, 
if we all decided not to be selfish, if we all decided to value the person next to us more than ourselves, we all decided to put others' interests above our own, then maybe, just maybe, we would have a glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus ushered in. Maybe your world, the world that we live in, wouldn't be filled with division, but with unity through humility. And maybe, just maybe, by the way that you live, the, the humility that you have, you would be able to make a difference in someone's life enough to have the opportunity to share about the gospel that has changed your life. Jesus lived a life of complete humility and his call for each person that calls themselves a follower of Christ is to live the same type of life of humility. But here's what we have to understand. This happens. It starts internally. This doesn't start with action. This starts in your heart. This starts in your mind, but then it manifests itself out into how we treat the person next to you. Church, our first step is going to be to humble ourselves before God. Let's pray together. God, you are so good to us. And as we think about the type of people that we are, our corruption, our sin, we are reminded, I mean, we can't help but be humble before you to recognize that a holy God loves us enough to do something about our sin, our situation, our condition, our eternity. And we praise you, God, for what you have done through Jesus Christ as the ex ultimate example of humility. He has laid down his life so that each and every one of us have an opportunity to spend an eternity with you. God, help us. God, it's not easy. Help us to be humble on the inside, to recognize what we deserve and what we get, to realize our position before you is only made possible because of Jesus. It puts all of us on the same playing field. There's no reason to think of ourselves better than anybody else because we're all facing the same thing. God, help us to be humble, to, to have a, a low perception of ourselves, not in a, in, a, in a poor and negative way, but to recognize that we're no better than anybody else. And God made that attitude change the way that we treated you, each other. That's my prayer. Lord, it, if we did this, if, if our church did this, it would transform this place. It would transform our community. If we started putting each other first, help us, Lord, to do that from the inside so that it turns into our actions. We're so thankful for everything that you have done for us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.